With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Out in Pecos and ours, and you know, we have guys who are uh, 
Vietnam veterans, and, you know, hey, they paid their dues. They're not about to run anywhere. So what do we say? Start. They sling up their rifle. They have a fun day. They walk. They go out to the court each stage, and, you know, they blast away, whatever it may be, a rifle or pistol. Well, Mark, and, can, you uh, tell me, can you tell me what you've got in the way of obstacles, more or less, without giving any secrets away? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, most of our obstacles are uh, simply uh, – Natural obstacles, some really uh, cool trees that a mic has cut down. A few of them are man-made, and you scale over them, climb over them. We have a, a really neat bridge that some of the guys put together. It's about a, a foot wide, maybe 20 feet long, and it's about six feet above the ground over a uh, dry uh, creek bed, and you go across that. We have a uh, a wall we scale made out of some type of fancy material, and like I said, just a lot of natural obstacles. We run through a dry creek bed, which last time I talked to Mike, he said there's about six feet of water in there. So we might have to do something about that and uh, move the course around there. But part of this course, you know, you're you're out in the wide open. I don't know if you've ever been to Mike's property, but some of it you're in a wide open area. And within a few minutes, you're in some really dense uh, vegetation, trees, brush, it's fun. It's it's really challenging, and uh, you know we mark the course with engineer tape so everybody can stay online and uh, get to their shooting stations. Uh, how many stations are there, Mark? Uh, there's going to be eight shooting stations. Uh, some are uh, strictly pistol, some are rifle, and the uh, rifle we have it's uh, this is going to be our second run now where, where we've added some CQB, so we'll have targets for you to shoot, and um, the way it's set up, you really don't see the targets till about the last minute when you're right on them. And some of them may be 20 feet away, and some of them may be four or five feet away from you. It's a lot of rounds in a short amount of time, and everybody packing ARs nowadays and AKs, they love that stuff. And we also have our traditional type shooting where you're going to need some marksmanship skills and, you know, hit some skills out at roughly two and a half, three hundred yards max. We don't we keep it up. try not to go past three hundred because we don't know everybody's skill level. We want the folks to come out and have a good time and get some hits out there. So we're not getting too crazy with the distances. But uh you know, after you've been walking through some heavy brush or if you've been running, you get that blood going, you get that breathing going and it really you know, some of these shots we take for granted at two or three hundred yards, it's a totally different ball game then. When you're winded up, I suspect so. <laughs> uh, yes, what, sir. What kind of round be. count are we talking about? The round count, uh, I have it on our website. We're about to revise it. I don't think the round count has changed. But uh, the way I try to explain it to people is if you have absolutely no misses at all and you shoot a perfect course, you're going to need 77 rifle rounds. And pistol, Ooh. I believe it went down one round. If you have absolutely no misses, up, you can get by with 56 rounds. Now, you know, this is a different type of course. There's no prep period, and like I said, you're going to be kind of winded. So I usually carry about double that. It sounds like a and, pretty challenging course. I think I've got it, a scout on the other line here. I'm not sure. Is that you, Mike? Yes, uh-huh. Okay. Yes, I don't know what uh, <laughs> I don't know what is going on with the blog talk. It's another one of those uh, 
another one of those evenings. They wouldn't let me. Uh, they wouldn't let me sign in for quite a while. And then when they did, they said, "Oh, the host has already called in, so uh, you can't call in." <laughs> well, I went ahead and did it when you you didn't come up. Mark's been on here giving us a little description of the of the course. Uh, why don't you two continue on and tell us a little more about it? Yeah, Mike, I've been tap dancing about the last five minutes, but uh, <laughs> we've talked about the course, some of the obstacles, uh, about how, you know, the biathlon itself, uh, a lot of folks just right off the bat think it's a, a running type event where some people like to run it, and, you know, like I was saying earlier, you don't have to run. You can walk it if you want. You can walk it with a friend, however you want to do it. It's just as challenging as you want to make it. And uh, Right. Yeah, we've got you know, uh, we've had several groups uh, in the last couple of events that uh, that uh, even brought their kids with them, and uh, one group they didn't have everybody didn't have their own uh, rifles, but they all shared a rifle and a pistol. They all went through it, and uh, we've got uh, several folks coming this time with kids. Uh, I talked to uh, a lady a while just uh, I guess day before yesterday. She's bringing her. Uh, I think 14-year-old daughter, and uh, another woman is bringing her, I think, 16-year-old son. And, uh, you know, it's uh, none of the obstacles are designed to break you. We, we're not trying to – this isn't like a boot camp or anything else. We're not trying to break you down or anything. It's just it's just a little something to get your blood pumping. There's no, there's no, no obstacles that, uh, that just about anybody – is going to be prevented from doing. Right. And, you know, we've been uh, we've gone to Pecos a couple of times, and we've done their biathlon. And I've been going there since, I think, 2006. And when you and I started talking about this, before we even did our first uh, biathlon, you and I have been discussing about, uh, you know, what we see, folks we talk with, and how people come out, and they have their gear, but... You know, does their gear work? Does it really hold their magazines? Can they actually carry that mother load they have on them, you know, a distance? How's their weapon going to work? Uh, you know, so this is a great venue to test your equipment, to test yourself, and really, where else are you going to do it? There's not that many places to do something like this. Right. And, yeah, uh, when, uh, we have great when Mark program. and I were first starting to talk about this, well, we, well first we were going to other, uh, you know, uh, running guns and stuff like that, but... We started talking about it, and and I've had people over the years, and I've been involved with uh, the self-reliance or prepping community for years and years now, and also from uh, through Appleseed and Battle Road, and people are always uh, they're always talking about uh, you know if something happens, if if they have to uh, uh, you know fight the zombies or whatever, then uh, then they're going to wear their their pack, uh, this certain pack, a certain way, and they're going to wear their, you know, their pistol a certain way. They're going to carry this rifle and wear these boots and on and on. And and uh, after a while, I started asking them. I said, "Well, have you ever put all that stuff on all at once and pranced around in it? Because it seems like a lot of stuff." And uh, usually they say, "No, no," but they've tried it on. You know, they've tried it on and looked at themselves in the mirror. And uh, and, and there's a big difference between uh, all of it sitting on your body and all of it working as it was meant to to work. Uh, and that's not just saying just that this stuff, like, won't come in or out or, or, or that uh, when you get your 
when you get all the stuff on that uh, that you that you prepared, now you can't reach your pistol because it's covered up by something, or now you can't get to the mags uh, because of something else is in the way, or you find out after you know, it doesn't take uh, all four and a half miles or all seven miles if you're out of Pecos. It doesn't take uh, all four and a half miles for you to figure out that something's wrong. You can usually figure it out in the first uh, first seven or eight hundred yards. You can figure out, man, this isn't going to work. And if you don't fix it, you might end up with a nice big bloody blister, you know, by the end of it. Because uh, that's what this is for. It's for you to, to figure out that uh, that wearing your pack with uh, with whatever hard item was in it, uh, you know, centered on your spine. Uh, by the time you get to the uh, two-mile mark and you, you're barely able to walk because you're almost paralyzed from that thing jabbing you in the spine, this is for this is how you find that out. Now, maybe other people, maybe some people are out there doing it. Maybe they're going out on the weekends and trying this and stuff. But uh, I doubt there's many places or many people that are that are able to go out and wear all the gear and shoot uh, and go over obstacles and do it in the company of uh, 100 of your best uh, best buddies, you know. You know, you're absolutely right, Mike, and I kind of learned that today, uh, earlier this week. You know, every time I've run these biathlons, I've gone with a very lightweight AR-15 I had I had made for a biathlon. And this year I decided, okay, I'm going to put on my big boy pants and I'm going to go with my grand. And there's a big difference in weight between the grand and that AR. So, <laughs> you, you know, I, I live in somewhat of a rural area, and uh, I put one of those green uh, – gun socks over my grand. I put on my cartridge belt and I went off for a jog like I always do and after a few miles into it, you know, I had neighbors driving down the street saying, Hey, the police are looking for you. There's cops all over the place And uh <laughs> they never found me, you know, I I was waiting for them. I got home and I called our local constables and said, Hey, you know, it was me and uh this is what I do and I'll be doing it a few times or whatever. They were really nice about it. I said, Okay, they just wanted to find out what the deal was but you're right. I mean, where the heck can you go to to really do this type of stuff? And uh, man, we've got a fantastic facility for it. Yeah, and uh, and like you know, we started off doing it almost mainly for ourselves. You know, we were we were trying. We said, well, we're gonna we're gonna get together and do this because uh, that's what we wanted to do. And uh, and it kind of turned into a little bit bigger thing. And we invited some other folks to come and do it with us, and uh, they really enjoyed it because <clears throat> now there are some there are some other events that people have going on that I've noticed over the last uh, year or two. Other kinds of uh, I don't know what you'd call them, like zombie things or something, where where you go and shoot or uh, uh, or different kinds of uh, uh, what is the one called that uh, the once a year the uh, uh, they have the it's like a, a bug out kind of event, but that one is mainly uh, there's no there's no real shooting involved in it, and in the other ones there's shooting, you know you're shooting at a at a range, but you're not going anywhere. You're just right. standing around shooting. So we have one of the few places that is really uh, that really caters to this kind of thing, and uh, and we're happy to share it with the folks. And we're trying to make it. Uh, uh, it grows a little bit every year, uh, not so much in in distance. We're not trying to make it longer, but uh, we're change. We'll change out some of the furniture and change out some of the uh, the events and I mean uh, some of the stations 
and uh, you know, try and make it new because uh, we've had uh, this is what the third one now, and uh, we've had a lot of folks who this is uh, like their big event of the year, and uh, so we want to make sure that we we're serving them by making it uh, you know, by making it a little bit different each time they come. Hey, absolutely. Uh, did you tell folks uh, how they can get signed up? Because uh, as the event has grown over the last uh, the last year or so, it has become more well known, and we uh, the tickets are going pretty fast, which is good. Good for us. Uh, right. It may not be so good for you if you guys wait much longer, because we really uh, we're We've got it capped at about a hundred because uh because it takes a pretty good while to run this thing and uh and I'm not sure that we can do much more than a hundred because that's with runners starting off every five minutes that that takes a pretty good amount of time to uh to get everybody run through the thing and uh so if you want to get a slot. Get your slot uh, guaranteed. You might want to go over to uh, BattleRoadUSA.com and uh, follow the links to the Eventbrite page and get signed up because uh, we got about uh, well, what is it? It's a little bit less than four weeks now, right? About three weeks, I guess. And uh, and the tickets, like I said, are going fast. So don't don't wait till the last minute. And uh, did you do you still have any slots left for? Uh, RSOs, Mark? You know, off the top of my head, I would say we could probably use about five more ROs, and uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because ROs, they get to shoot for free. Now, they have to come out both Friday the 25th. That's when the range officers will uh, will shoot and we'll run the range ourselves, and it's going to be kind of a skeleton crew because we're doing it all. And that way, Saturday we can all work the range and let all of our shooters come through and run through this course. And when you're an RO, again, you don't pay an entry fee. You get a T-shirt like everyone else. Uh, We are getting some vendors slowly coming in, but we're getting vendors, and being an RO, you're eligible to win any prize that anyone else can win, and you also get a free meal. So, yes, if anybody wants to be a range officer, you can uh, send me an email. If you're 100% sure you want to do it and you can do it, you can send me an email at mark at battleroadusa.com. I'll talk to you. Make sure it's something you want to do. Make sure you want to be there, and we'll hook you up. And I probably have about five more slots left. Okay. You guys heard that. If you want to uh, if you want to come out and help and uh, be part of the temporary staff for this, you can uh, contact mark at battleroadusa.com, mark at battleroadusa.com. Let him know that you'd like to help. But like he said, what they'll do is you'll come out on Friday morning, the day before the event. You'll run the event with the rest of the staff, and uh, we'll we'll figure out any glitches if there are any, and then uh, then get uh, all of the ROs set up with uh, uh, with their stations where they're gonna where they're going to work at, and then you'll help run the event on Saturday, and uh, you'll waive your uh, attendance fees, and you still get. Uh, the uh, shirt, and uh, you still get the same chance uh, for any of the uh, uh, prizes that we have. And uh, your your scores from Friday go into the same bag as all of the shooters on Saturday. 
So uh, the only thing you're really doing is uh, is just popping in and exit day and helping to work the thing. So if you'd like to do that, like I said, contact Mark at BattleRoadUSA.com, and uh, he'll let you know, and and you can come and work the event with us. So That's right. When uh, you're a range officer, you have two fun-filled days instead of one. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And uh, And if anybody knows of anybody that would like to come out and get access to these uh, probably close to 140 uh, runners total and uh, and their families and friends that come along. There's a lot of other people who just tag along. They're not running, but they come along uh, with their with their runners, the wives, the kids, the moms, the dads, stuff like that. There's a lot of folks that show up. If you, would, if you have anybody that would like to get access to these folks like vendors, then... Uh, Contact either Mark at BattleRoadUSA.com or, or Mike at BattleRoadUSA.com, and uh, we'll see about getting you set up. Now, you don't have to just sell stuff. Uh, if you want to come out and set up a table and tell people about uh, things like the uh, uh, Texas Firearms Freedom Organization that you have set up to uh, help uh, defend uh, Texas Firearms Freedom, or if you have any other tech, uh, Second Amendment group, if you have anything like Oath Keepers or, or anything like that, if you'd like to come out and uh, set up a table and talk to folks, uh, then then let us know because uh, that's one of the things that we want to do with the event is use it as a way to get the information out to the folks that show up. Uh, if I was you guys, I would also bring stuff to barter. You know, if I was coming to the event and I had a I had something that I wanted to trade for something else, I'd bring it. Uh, I think we'll set up a maybe we can have a barter table set up where people can come up and uh, you know and put gear out and uh, say, look, here's what I got. I'm willing to trade it uh, to somebody else or sell it to somebody else uh, who wants to buy it. And uh, so don't be afraid to bring out gear that you'd like to barter or trade. Uh, we'll have. Uh, I think we'll have at least three or four vendors there. I, I don't really know who all yet is uh, is going to be out for sure, but I think that we'll have three or four vendors that uh, are coming out to sell stuff. And then we'll have uh, several other organizations that are coming out to uh, put out information. And we have uh, Melanie Davis, who's going to be our guest in just a few minutes, uh, with the uh, loveyourveterans.org organization. And uh, that's who we're working with this year. We wanted to make sure that we're... We're giving back to the community, so we've decided we're going to work with uh, with Miss Davis and her organization, and uh, you'll learn all about that in just a few minutes. So I'll wait till uh, I'll wait till we get her on to talk about that. Well, also, man, um, I pretty, I don't think I have anything else unless you do, Mike. Uh, you ready to get your next guest on? Oh uh, no, no, we can go on. We're, she she's going to call in just a few minutes and. Okay. Uh, and uh, we'll get started as soon as she does. So we can we can go ahead and uh, use the rest of this time to talk about uh, uh, about Battle Road. Now, listen, also, guys, Battle Road doesn't just do the zombie running gun. This is like our fun thing. That's the that's kind of like our frosting on our cake. Uh, throughout the year, we have uh, uh, a lot of other courses that we run, courses that we host. Uh, we just got through with a uh, five-day. Uh, tactical tracking course that was uh, put on by John Hurt from Cheer Group over in Louisiana. 
And uh, it was a fantastic course uh, teaching you how to track and how to track as a member of a team in a possibly hostile environment. So uh, in addition to that, we have courses coming up, uh, precision rifle, we have carbine courses, uh, pistol courses, we have CHL courses, uh, self-defense courses for women, uh, you name it, and we have it. And if there's something that you don't see but you would like to see, Feel, feel free to contact us and uh, and let us know, and we'll be glad to uh, we'll be glad to see about adding another course for you. Uh, uh, Sam, can you check uh, and see if the new caller is uh, Miss Davis? Sure, will stand by. Keep keep going while I do that. Okay. Well, hey, while we have a little bit of time, I also want to touch on uh, the bartering part. You brought up a very good point about this. Uh, uh, you know, the zombie runner is a big meat. And I know, you know, you said it's like three weeks away. And honestly, I feel like I'm already running late for this thing. So, so really uh, <laughs> moving forward with it. But, folks, if you want to come on out and you want to barter, don't wait on some big notice from us or whatever. Just bring your stuff. Come on out there. We'll talk about it and see what you have to trade. I'm probably going to climb up in my attic and grab a bunch of stuff I have there. I'm sure my wife would be happy if I did that and uh, try to trade it for more stuff. Scout Dennis, yeah, I'm Ms. Davis on the line. If you'd like to know, I just need to bring her on. Uh, okay, hold on one second. Uh, I just took a, uh, a handful of aspirin, and I forgot to get something to wash it down with. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, be careful, do I? Okay. Not? End up in trouble. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. Oh, oh, that was pretty horrible. You know, I tried. I, I just popped them in and and started to swallow and forgot that I didn't have anything and uh, and they didn't go. Well, that's okay. Good All right, deal. guys. So, uh, if you'd like to uh, make the event, then. Uh, Go to uh, BattleRoadUSA.com and uh, and take a look and follow the links to the sign up. Uh, you can find out more on our on the website and on uh, if you go to Facebook, you can go to the uh, BattleRoadUSA.com Facebook page and we try and keep uh, updates rolling there, uh, along with pictures of past events and stuff like that. If you have any questions uh, about what to bring or uh, about what's going on uh, with the event or anything else, be sure and uh, give us a uh, an email. Uh, you can find the emails listed at the, on the website, mark at battleroadusa.com or mike at battleroadusa.com. And uh, we we uh, look forward to seeing you there. All right, April 26, 2014. Mark, thank you for calling in, brother. All right, Mike. Uh, I'll, I'll see you. Uh, I'll see you uh, tomorrow. In a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So oh, no, 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 Saturday. It's Saturday, right? Saturday. That's right. Okay. okay. Well, you take care, Mike. Thank you, Sam. And uh, see you around. All right. Thanks, brother. Thank you, Mark. All right. Uh, as I said a little bit earlier, uh, we're going to be working with uh, Melanie Davis and uh, her organization, Love Your Veterans. In, 
and she will be out at the uh, at the Battle Road uh, USA Run and Gun on April 26th. And uh, Melanie, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, let's start off with uh, with first with me just telling you thanks. I'd like to thank you for for what you're what you're doing. You've taken on a you've taken on a pretty big uh a pretty big project and and you certainly have my thanks for it and uh and maybe you can you can start off by by telling us a bit about yourself, uh you know, who you are and and how you ended up doing uh, what you're doing now. What what path that that led you to this? I I ask people I always ask people this because uh, because people uh, who have written a book or people who have gotten involved in shooting or something else like that, uh, I'm always interested in how they got to that point. And I, and I always want them to explain it because I would like, I'd like the folks out there listening to hear about, uh, about ways that they could maybe follow the same kind of trail. So give us a little bit of, a little bit of information about how you ended up uh, on where you are now, writing the book. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, well, maybe I should start out by just letting people know what, I, what I'm what i doing right now so they can appreciate uh, that path. Um, I've written a book called The Triumph Book Heroes, which is a collection of stories from veterans from World War II up through our recent conflicts, all different ranks and wars. First-person accounts, because that's the best way for history to be recorded. I began writing the book as a way to increase patriotism because who loves our country more than those who are willing to die for it. But in the course of interviewing the veterans and hearing their stories and and learning about the challenges and the battles that they face when they return from war, I found out that I had been an ignorant civilian because I had no idea. I really didn't. I didn't know that they have a suicide rate that's so high. Um, as a result of untreated PTSD uh, and even just negligence on the part of all of us, in my opinion. Um, As you all know, a very small percentage of our country serves and protects our freedom. And uh, I've heard various statistics. I've heard anywhere from 2 to 3%. I've heard as high as 7%, but I don't think that uh, that's accounting for it at any one time. Maybe that's an overall number of of the citizens who have served. But it tends to be generational, which means that the majority of us in in this country do not have a loved one or are not closely connected to someone who is serving or currently serving. And that's, uh, that's created a real ignorance, a lack of understanding, a lack of knowing about what's really happening. I do think that... Um, not to delve too much into in, into politics, but just the shooting recently at Fort Hood. You know, this is very much an uh, example of the extreme challenges that um, that that our military faces and uh, and are not being addressed with much more than what they call shrinks and pill pushers. Um, but but my purpose in, today, from having written that book is that I have founded a campaign called Love Your Veterans. 
and uh, it's meant to raise awareness, appreciation, and support for our real heroes. And uh, it's a phrase, it's a message that's directed to the citizens and the protected of the United States of America. And it's not love our veterans, it's love your veterans. Make it personal, take accountability and responsibility for the freedom that you have been provided through the sacrifices and the continual sacrifices and honestly the lifelong sacrifices that our our military make for us. So that's just kind of an overview <laughs> of um, well, what I'm doing. How did you how did you get started? I mean, at, at one point you were you were mm-hmm. doing something else. You were completely <laughs> completely unaware of this, and then come on from some other trail. What what got you started on chronicling the stories of the veterans? Well, it's kind of an interesting uh, trail of breadcrumbs that's taken me to, to where I am, and it's not one of a, I would have ever predicted. But uh, about 12 years ago, I had a daughter, uh, seven months old, pass away during the night of SIDS. They called it SIDS because they couldn't figure out what had caused her death. And uh, <laughs> well, I'm a I'm a writer, and uh, one of the the most precious things that I've been writing are, are the journals of my children. And when I would go to get the ultrasound to find out if I'm having a girl or a boy once I find out, then I would go and buy a journal, and I would start writing in it. And I took that journal with me to the hospital, and I had their footprints put in it, and wrote a mother's first message to her child. And then I would keep that journal. And I have five children, so I've got five journals. But uh, Bryn is the name of my daughter, and she was actually my third child. And uh, and I had written all the cute and, and funny and precious things that I didn't want to forget. And it's a good thing that I did that because you really do forget if you don't write down your life's uh, precious moments. But uh, so after she passed away, I picked up that journal again. And this time I wrote what happened. Uh, I wrote what it was like finding her in her crib uh, wrote about the ambulance ride, praying that she would make it and knowing that she wasn't going to. Having to go down to the police station shortly after I was told that she had passed on because there was a death in the home and that was standard procedure that we had to go in through these interviews. And then uh, when we buried her, we were in San Jose, California at the time. We buried her in Carson City, Nevada, where my where I have family. And um, we're, we had her body in, in the casket in, in our van and we broke down in the middle of the Sierra Nevada mountains and had to be towed oh, no. into Reno. And here I am standing at this rest stop watching the tow truck leave with my my van, and, and there in the back is this tiny little white casket. And uh, there's a lot of hardship that we went through. Um, we all got horribly sick, actually, on the day of her funeral. My young, my young son, about four years old, started throwing up, threw up all over me, and I just went to the bathroom and washed it off, and he was he went home and I I went forward with the day a little wet and smelly, <laughs> um, but uh, we all got horribly sick and she had actually had an illness but it just wasn't something that should have killed her. And I found out much later because my youngest child, a son, had a, a febrile seizure in front of me when he was nine months old, and that's where their fever spikes so high and so fast, and, and it's a genetic condition, and you just stop breathing. 
And uh, I honestly thought I was going to lose another child, but we managed to call 911, and and, and he's okay today. But um, we had these horrible fevers, and and as a family, there was my my husband and myself and my son and daughter, we just laid in this king-size bed feeling awful. Emotionally, physically, it was just horrible. And yet we really worked out a lot of pain. Um, I wrote about these things in my journal, and then... Many months later, I picked it up, and I wrote all that I learned from this experience. Because if you'd asked me how I would react to losing a child, I would have said, lock me away in a dark room and throw away the key. I just would have thought it's something I couldn't get through. I can't imagine and, that. Yeah, yeah but, I, but I found out I could get through my worst nightmare and actually find purpose and even joy in it, which may sound odd, especially to anyone out there that may be going through an adversity right now that just they don't seem that, they, that there's an end to it. But I have to say for me, even on the day that she died, I had a very profound feeling that that it was for a purpose. Um, and I feel that, well, one of the things that I wrote about in my journal, and I wrote this journal for my children and my posterity, because I wanted them to know that they had a sister, but I also wanted them to know that they can get through whatever adversities come along. Because this is really, I would have thought this is the worst thing that could happen to me. And um, and I want them to know that God lives and that he does support us. And I can say, I say, I know God lives. And I know it with a little bit, something a little bit more than faith because of what I went through and what I experienced, it's a knowledge for me. And I, I did feel a sense of purpose. In fact, if you were to look at pictures of the funeral, you won't find one of me crying. And you'll find a lot of me smiling because the spirit was strong at that on that day. And I just really felt there was a reason. But I didn't know what the reason was right then. All I knew was there was one. Um, well, as time went on, I, I discovered this new technology and it's called storybooking, and people are probably very familiar with it right now. And that's where you online you can upload pictures, and you can write the stories that go with the pictures. And then they're published into these beautiful hardback books that look like they came from a bookstore. And uh, that's pretty common today, but back you know, about eight, nine, ten years ago when I discovered it, it was brand new technology. I'd never seen it before. And I was pretty excited to take my journal writing and my pictures of Bryn and create this storybook. Well, what happened is that because I got through something that's usually pretty hard and I did it fairly well, people would hear about it. And I had a lot of people come up to me and say things like, my sister just lost a child. What can I say or do to help her? Or or someone's neighbor or even people I didn't know um, would contact me. And what I did was, I because of this technology, it was very easy for me to just print more copies of this book. Um, before this technology came along, we scrapbooked, which took hundreds of hours and hundreds of dollars and you locked it away in a safe and you know very rarely took it out but because of this technology to print a book I would print a copy and I'd give it to them and I'd say give this to your loved one let them read my story and maybe there's something there that will help them and I probably printed a hundred copies of that book and shared it 
what I ended up doing was um, discovering something, and that is that the more I shared my story and the more people that maybe I helped in some way, the more purpose I found in my tragedy and the more I healed. And I, I took that and I took it to another level and I actually wrote a, a workbook that helps people who've been through adversity or tragedy to, to discover, write, and share their own triumph story and allow them to find that kind of healing. And so I created this bereavement program is what it was at the time. And I worked with a lot of hospices and bereavement counselors, and I, and I created these groups. And they would be run very small, maybe no more than six people, and they had the workbook. And they'd write in it during the week in the different sections with different topics. Um, and it wasn't just writing about their tragedy and their loss, but it was also a way to discover the purpose in it and the ways that they can use what they had been through to serve others. And that's really the crux of getting over tragedy, is finding ways to serve others with the the skills and the abilities and the knowledge and the wisdom that you gain, because you never lose without having some some type of gain, and usually a lot of it when you're willing to see it. And they would write during the week, and then we'd meet once a week. And I would talk to them, and I, I always would say, you can overcome grief. And I have letters. I've saved the letters that bereavement counselors wrote me saying, we don't say that. We're not sure it's true. <laughs> it, it, it was actually like a hot phrase. I, I think they seriously were trained when they went to college not to say that. Like that, as if it's the most uncompassionate thing you can say to someone is, you can get over it. But I'm not saying you can get over it. But I'm saying you can overcome grief. And and right. how you yeah it, it, I, to me it was setting the bar very low to say their catchphrases were things like well in time it will feel you'll feel better you know time heals all things or you'll find a new normal that's the big catchphrase you'll find a new normal and that's kind of true but the way that it's said and presented to me it's, it, it kind of well what I found is that in the bereavement industry they they nurture and they coddle grief because. People feel like they're being forced to heal and forced to, to overcome something, and so their knee-jerk reaction is to say, well, it's okay, you can grieve your whole life if you need to. And I'm here to say, you don't have to suffer your whole life. And, yeah, well, uh, and, and it's, it's damaging. It's damaging to you to, to stay in a, in a place like that. Yeah, and yet there's so many people that do. And it actually becomes them. They identify themselves with their grief. And they have right. a really right. hard time leaving it. <laughs> yeah. Right, because like you said, it's who they are. For them, yeah. they identify with it, they become it. And for them to put it down and walk away would mean that they would have to, they would have to reinvent themselves. They'd have to grow is what they'd have to do. Yeah. <laughs> and and right, growing exactly. hurts. It's painful. I mean, even as a kid, when you're growing, you get achy knees and legs. And, you know, it's, it's not easy, but it's still worth it. So, well, but for me, mm-hmm. Uh, go, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say, for me, uh, when I say you can overcome grief, it's how you define it. And I define that as meaning you can find purpose and joy again in life. You don't have to feel awful all the time. And um, and that's that's what I was trying to, to teach. And, and what happened is I would get all of this pushback. And so what I did is I wrote my first book. 
which is called The Triumph Book. So it's the first in this Triumph Book series. And that is a collection of stories from people who've endured severe tragedies that found purpose and joy in life because of what they went through. And they're all different stories. It's not just death loss, but um, uh, there's a story of a man who who is dealing with MS, and there's the story of a, a cancer story. Uh, I have a PTSD story. Um, I have a story of kidnap, rape, and murder, and that's quite an amazing story because it shows how the mother who wrote this story was able to forgive the man who did this. And it's really interesting because as we were writing the story, just a few weeks before we finished it, the the murderer was finally caught, rapist murderer. He plea bargained and then told them where her, where her body was. And so she recovered her body just a little bit before we finished the story. There's a story of a woman whose son became depressed and uh, shot all of her children and her husband at the dinner table. And all of the children died, including that son. Um, there's just, there's so many different kinds of stories. And you're listening to me say this and probably going, oh, my gosh, I would never want to read that book. <laughs> How awful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm like thinking to myself as I say this, oh, my gosh, what a horrible book. But here's the point. It's called The Triumph Book because all of these stories show you how they overcame what they went through. Every single one of those stories brings you up and shows you how they triumphed over what they went through. And the point of the book is, and I think most people who read it get this out of it, is that if they can get through that, you know, you say, if they can get through that, I can get through what I'm going through. Right. And a lot of times it's it's other people's examples that can be the most powerful healing tool for us to believe. And first you have to believe that it's possible to overcome something before you actually do it. Well, there's everybody has stories of I'm sure of people that uh, that that have had horrible things happen to them. And uh, I know I've. If, if anybody's life is like mine, I'm sure that they they have plenty of them. You know, stories of uh, I knew a uh, a couple whose son had been shot during a gas station robbery. He was a young guy, and uh, and for them, their lives practically ended at that point. Yeah. I mean, they had his, yeah. they had his room was left with his pants that uh, he was going to wear when he came home or on the bed uh, 15 years later and. And they had other children. And I just thought it was, to me, I understand that you can have grief, and God forbid I I ever more fully understand it. But I understand that you can have grief. But, you know, I've always told folks, uh, my wife and everybody else, if something happened to me, that that's not the end of life. I would hate it if <laughs> if that caused yeah. everybody just to stop and stand still and, and end up in a in a mud hole of of grief. Exactly. Uh, I, I couldn't I couldn't <laughs> bear that thought. You know. Yeah. And, and you know, I often think about it that way too. I think about my daughter, and of course, I believe with all my heart that we will that I will be reunited with her. I believe that there's a purpose to this Absolutely. mortal life and that when we die we rejoin our loved ones. So I don't believe I'll never see her. I don't know 
how people who believe that get through. I, I can't help them because my ability to heal is based on the belief that everything I do here matters and that everything I do to help others through the death of my daughter makes it as if she lived her whole life and that when I rejoin her one day, that it will be a joyful reunion and she will be proud of me for what I did. And I hate to think of her being hurt watching me suffer the rest of my life instead of doing something positive. So I guess my, my faith is what allows, you know, ultimately it's it's that faith that allows healing and, and God's presence um, I don't but, know how people with would, that. without faith make it. I, I don't, I don't know either. <laughs> I feel bad for them because, uh, boy, that's just a hard life to live. And, and, well, of course, knowing as I do that God lives, it's sad, you know, that they can't have a, um, a more joyful life. And joy comes from adversity. It really does because that's that moment that something horrible turns into something good that we – it's opposites. You have to know – you have to know what hot is to know what cold is. You have to know Absolutely. You have to know what pain is to know what pleasure is. And to me, the more adversity you know, the more you're capable of of understanding joy. And when people understand that, I think it changes their perspective too. Right. And we're not we're not telling you that you've got to go put your hand on the stove to figure this out. We're just <laughs> we're just saying that uh, that for you to understand so you under, to fully understand and realize one, you're going to have to, at some point, experience the other. And everybody does. There's no way to get around it. Everybody everybody experiences grief. Everybody experiences loss. Life, life is a long trail uh, on one side of the story of the half-empty glass. Along the, the, life is a long trail of losses. But it's also a wonderfully wide open and uh, and very long trail of gains and and you and they've got to balance each other out for you to have a a full life yeah. well but that is how you got to <laughs> the point that you're at and so this led me this led me and by the will of god i will say to to serve veterans um and uh you know there's i oh. <laughs> I truly love them. They they were willing to die for me. That is that is the truth, and um, I appreciate and the, them. The book that the book that uh, the one that you sent me, uh, the Triumph Book Heroes, is uh, is is a, a lot different than what I thought it was going to be, and uh, <laughs> and I was very I actually was very pleasantly surprised by that because what were you expecting? I'm curious. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure, Melanie. I, in a way, I thought maybe that it was going to be more doom and gloom than than oh, what it was. Oh, it's got the triumph in the cover. What? <laughs> I know it's triumph, but you know, I read book. I read a lot of different books that uh, that yeah. folks send me, and uh, some of them don't have anything to do with what's on the cover. And, yeah, uh, I'm just kidding. I, I knew that it was. I just thought it was. I just thought it was going to be uh, that there would be more grief and sadness. And uh, and then don't worry, folks. There there is plenty of grief and sadness, but at the same time, uh, that's balanced out by the overcoming of it. And also, there's a lot of there's a lot of great stories. The the story of the couple that had to fight their way to get married. And uh, <laughs> I thought that that was really an interesting story. And your buddy who uh, whose father's love letter 
got discovered 47 years after he wrote it, uh, stuck in the bulkhead of the submarine. I thought that was uh, really interesting. But one of the things I want to ask you is that, I'll tell you, because the whole reason you have done this project is to help the veterans. And we are, we're currently, we, we have we have troops spread out all across the globe. And we're sending, we are sending our service members into harm's way every single day, every single day. And we're getting, and they're getting, they're fighting, they're being killed, they're dying uh, almost on a daily basis. And yet mm-hmm. here we are, we are going to work, we're coming home, we're going to baseball games, we're watching TV, uh, and and it's almost like, it's almost like they're living in a completely different world than we yeah. are, and yeah. we're not uh, we're not we're not aware uh, of what a lot of our veterans are going through. World War One, uh, in World War Two, to, to a good degree in Vietnam, although it was a much different situation. In World War Two, everybody had family members that were over there. Everybody's almost everybody had a family member or knew somebody. It was on the news every day, every single day, and, and all the families involved were experiencing losses, or they were helping in some way. They were, uh, they were on the war. Yeah, it was a national wagon. movement. It was a. Yeah. We were all we were all supporting the war as a country, and whether it was through building the ammunitions at home or rationing the supplies so we could send more over to our boys. Everybody right, was, was involved in mind. the war. Mm-hmm. But yeah. nowadays, uh, guys are coming. You know, they're they're getting off the plane. They're coming back. They're they're you know walking into the room and they're and and the people are saying uh, where what you know where are you back from and they're they say uh, Afghanistan or Iraq mm-hmm. and then the folks are going like oh yeah yeah I read something about that the other day yeah and I uh, think that uh, too much I think that the perspective people have now is that oh, it's almost like they're over there doing their job. You know, it's just business as usual for them. They're not realizing this is these are life and death situations. It's every bit as dangerous as war has ever been. You know, they're they're losing life and limb over there, and yet we've we've kind of pigeonholed what they're doing into some kind of just well, that's their career, that's their occupation. I've seen people say things like this. Well, that's what they signed up for. There's just this huge lack of appreciation of what right. they're doing and. And that's really why the book became the, it launches the Love Your Veterans campaign, and it's really about helping people to know our veterans. To me, you you have to know someone, and you have to know their story to really appreciate them. And we're so disconnected right now to our to our military and our veterans. We don't know their stories. We don't know their hearts. We don't know what they've been through, so therefore we don't appreciate what they've done for us. And that's why, really, not to to be very, um, you know, over-market my book here on your show, but that's why it's so important that people read this book, because you love your veterans when you're done reading these stories, and it covers all the ranks and all the wars, and, and um, you appreciate their hearts and how Matthew Brown writes in his story, uh, he talks about writing that letter to his family in case he were killed. 
And uh, he says, you know, I'm doing this so others don't have to. And that really is how so many, and if almost all of them, I think, by the end, they may not, they may be just young bucks when they sign up wanting help with college or running away from some trouble at home. But by the end of it, when they have put so much on the line and they've served, you, they love us. They truly do. And well, give, um, us a, give us some examples of uh, of some of the stories that that folks are going to read about whenever they when they read the book. Some of the <laughs> uh, some of the veterans that you've uh, that you've listened to and, and written down their stories. Well, I'd be happy to share those. I love it. Uh, the first this, the book literally starts with a bang, as the first story begins with, "Well, there goes my legs." And that is the story of Travis Green, who was hit with an IED in in, in Iraq, lost both of his legs almost entirely uh, by the time he and he got through all of the treatment at the hospital and, and dealt with the the um, rotting of the flesh, and they had to keep cutting and cutting. And um, but you know it's a, it's a phenomenal story because he shows how he's overcome double amputation. I found Travis Green through the the Warrior Game program, which is held in Colorado every spring. I actually reached out to the Warrior Games, and they had just had their very first Warrior Games. And I, I went through the Marine Division representative, and she, she sent out an email for me to everyone who had participated asking if anyone would like to tell their story for this book I was writing. And, and so Travis Green volunteered. So he's competed in – these Warrior Games are uh, – um, it's almost like an Olympics for our disabled or wounded veterans where they're able to compete in a lot of different sports like uh, volleyball, uh, wheelchair basketball. Um, I remember all this. There's just a wide variety of sports, and he, he won a lot of medals because he's very athletic. He was very athletic before the war. And he has actually gone on to found, found a nonprofit that served disabled veterans and others in the area where he lives in Boise, Idaho, and they continue to have sport events and opportunities. And so he's taken his challenge and his disability and he's turned it into his life's purpose. And it's it's a very uplifting book to read and, and story to read. The second story in the book is epic. Um, it's about Major General John Corder who was the, uh, he commanded all the sorties that really won us the first Gulf War. But before he did that, as a young pilot in Vietnam, I don't know if anybody knows this, but there were three Chinese Beagle bombers that were set to bomb the Marines on Quezon. If they had done that, history would have been completely different. And it, they needed to be taken out, and that was assigned to, to John Corder. Um, I don't remember what his rank was at the time, but he was a new pilot. Um, he was a new pilot, but he had had experience in the Korean War of flying with the use of radar, which was a very new technology at the time. And because of the monsoons and the mountains and where these bombers were located, they, he had to fly by radar to take them out. And he was pretty much the only pilot that could do that. And he knew when he was given the assignment that it was probably an impossible mission. And uh, he had a wingman, and he, he, he says he knew one of them would be shot down, so of course it was going to be the wingman. Well, I don't want to give away all the story, but I'll just say that he was able to take out those bombers in a way you'd never expect. He did crash land and was rescued, and it is, it is an incredible story. When I was done interviewing him, I asked him, where else this story had been told or written. 
And he told me that until I interviewed him that day, it had never been written before. So that was really our, an amazing story. It's it's an amazing story. I have the story of a Tuskegee Airman, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, uh, Lieutenant Calvin Spann. It's an amazing story too. Uh, he was he was a flyer, and um, he really ex- showed what it was like to go through um, the the training in Tuskegee and how they were harassed and uh, all that they went through. Um, it's we. It was really neat actually having written his story. I got to be close to him, and um, when the Red Tails film came out a little over a year ago, I guess it was maybe it was two years now. I got to go to the premiere with uh, about eight of the Tuskegee here in the Dallas area. And afterwards, I asked them what they thought of the film, and they loved it. <laughs> so <laughs> when when a film is made about heroes and they tell you they loved it, you know that that, that was a good film, that they did a good job. They said it was a, it was a little Hollywood, but, it, but they loved it. So I thought that right. was neat. There's a lot more stories that are very uh important and epic and they're all overcoming various challenges i actually went down into dallas along with a a dallas police officer who introduced me to a veteran known only as car wash because he's homeless and homeless often have uh, don't use their own names and that's what his name was he was a he was in communications in beirut he was the one out in the forward ahead of everyone laying down the lines and uh I got to interview him, and I got to tell you, his wisdom was amazing. And it really, I hope that that story will shed a different light on our homeless, especially as a very large percentage of them are veterans. And uh, But there's a wide variety of different challenges and stories, all of them, in, in my opinion, fascinating. At the end of every story, I have a section called Behind the Story, where I talk about how I met that veteran, where uh, what his challenge might be, what he's doing today. Um, and I also made the effort to highlight a lot of veteran nonprofit organizations that serve and help with whatever particular challenge that veteran's story may represent. So I was able to highlight such organizations as Soldiers Angels, Operation Homefront, and uh, Snowball Express, there's actually, I don't know if you all know what Snowball Express is, but that's the organization that J- Gary Sinise, I believe he founded, or he's a big part of it, that takes care of the children and the families of our fallen heroes. And um, I have a Snowball Express story. is so romantic. It's a, a young widow whose husband was in the Air Force and was killed, and a widower whose wife was in the Air Force and died of uh, an illness that she contracted because of her service. And they met uh, on Snowball Express, um, which is a week where they they get to take the families and they go on a, a special vacation trip for about a week. And they met on that trip and, and ended up getting married. And it's a beautiful story and a tribute to both of their spouses. And I was able to attend um, Skyball, which is the American Airlines holds this big gala and one of their hangers and the pilots and the airline stewardesses and stewards serve this meal and usually Gary Sinise is their plane and they have lots of other celebrities that come out to raise funds for Snowball Express. And I got to attend that along with Lieutenant Calvin Spann and and I wrote about that in the behind the story. So Love Your Veterans, it's a campaign and I really look at it and I hope others will too as a banner. 
it's meant to turn the hearts of our country to our our heroes, our real heroes, our veterans and our active military. And it's meant to to assist all other veteran organizations because I I want to be the one that can shine a light on them and what they're doing, whether they're training the, the service dogs, which are so helpful for our veterans, or whether they're um, providing homes. Um, there's an organization I'm starting to work with now, and I'm really excited about it, and I'm going to be doing some big fundraising projects, which I hope to get to talk about. Um, there's an organization called uh, America's Mighty Warriors, and it was founded by a woman named Debbie Lee. Her son was the first Navy SEAL to be killed in Iraq. And she was very close to Chris Kyle. In fact, she was like his second mother. And, um, in fact, uh, Marcus Luttrell is the ambassador for this organization. And they have picked up a very important therapy for our veterans and are, are going to be creating a campaign for that called, well, the, the therapy is hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And... Um, which is what's been used initially. It was for helping scuba divers with the bends. But there's been a, a lot of discoveries about how that pressure and that increased oxygen helps heal. They use it for burns. Well, we have discovered that the, the this therapy actually regenerates, stimulates the regeneration of cells, and they're healing TBIs with it so that our heroes are not just having to live and suffer with the conditions that have been caused by the traumatic brain injuries and PTSD, but they're able to heal and get their lives back, which is absolutely incredible. And there's a few of these clinics around the country, and we need to raise awareness of them and the treatments that they're providing. We need to raise funds so we can heal our heroes, and they deserve that. So I'm working closely with them. And uh, and we are putting together, I've, I've actually put together something called a shoot-a-thon, which um, is a really great way to raise funds and awareness because we all love, well, my, in my world, I'm very active in the Second Amendment protection and, and the shooting world, and uh, that's who's listening here today. So in all of our world, we love to shoot. And can you imagine going out and participating in a great event that, that also raises money for for this great therapy and for this organization. Well, and, it sounds uh, fantastic. <laughs> I'm really excited about it. So yeah, we've just been working together, been working all week on it, and we're getting ready to to probably have some of these shootathons back east around Fort Bragg, probably in Virginia and some other places where we've got the clinics that we're trying to raise funds for to be able to send our heroes there. So well, you you and I have talked about some uh, about maybe that program working here in Texas too and yeah and uh, and I'm very I'm very interested in in helping you to achieve that here and, and locally because <clears throat> I think it's something that a lot of folks can get behind. You know, with the Appleby project and you and I were you and I had discussed this the other day, the Appleby project is one that uh <clears throat> we were we were first beginning with it and we said, Hey uh, we could we could use uh, almost anything, any any group activity or individual activity uh, to spread the message of becoming active and involved, you know, in defending yes. your freedoms and liberties. But why not uh, why not use shooting 
because uh, you know Americans have a uh, have a, the, the nation the, the the life of this nation has a been a lifelong involvement with firearms and marksmanship and and we have found that it just seems like a a lot of the people who are who are involved in these shooting sports and shooting industry a lot of those folks are folks who will actually do something you know. Uh, yeah, they're the patriots. They, they tend yeah. to be more patriotic. Uh, they tend to be the people who love our Constitution. Um, and those are the things that our heroes fought for. They fought for our rights. They fought for our Second Amendment and our First Amendment. And um, I I believe now I'm actually very active in, in the protection of the Second Amendment. I'm part of an organization called Grun Rights Across America which was founded by Eric Reed, and I hope that you, anyone listening will know about us and, and look us up, but uh, it's a grassroots movement that uh, is going to make a big difference in really educating and protecting, and, and I work with them. I'd, I'd like to, to do a lot of writing for them and, and other things, and to me, what I you know just started taking it to the next step is I would love to see these events for our veterans also be places where we talk about the things that they fought for and uh, talk about protecting those things and talk about the importance of our Constitution and preserving it. Because honestly, if they loved something enough to die for it, don't you think they want to see it protected by the rest of us at home? They, I'm sure that every veteran I talk to, it's important to them that, that we stand up for our rights and our freedoms. Um, and uh, so I'm hoping that this can also be a place where we can uh, come together and support our veterans and, and have that dialogue or or become a part of these kinds of movements and organizations. And and uh, I actually found y'all through a, a good friend of mine now, Rachel Malone, and she has a website, Texas Firearms Freedom, which is phenomenal for anyone listening that's in Texas. And she has just dedicated her life to, to working for protecting our freedoms and educating people and um, not to get off topic but i think it really is on topic to 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 stop and look at what our heroes fought and died or were wounded for and make sure that we show our love to them by appreciating them and those things that they were willing to protect absolutely because if the well i tell you it's kind of like a i think it would kind of almost look like an hourglass if you were to actually physically manifest it. As far as the ideas and the beliefs that folks have, uh, you know, when you go into the service, you may have you have a lot of different ideas of the reasons that you go in and the things that you do and the reasons that you're willing to to take risks with your life and perhaps ultimately to sacrifice uh, your life in defense of your country. And the reasons are, you know, they, they're, they're a lot, and then they get to a smaller amount. And then when you end up, actually, when you end up actually in the country uh, doing it, your reasons are actually very few and very small. Uh, you are doing whatever you're doing because of the guy uh, in the same hole with you, the guy that's one foot away from you. That's, that's your whole world. Is only, it only covers that. You're willing to fight and die for the person that's next to you in your unit, your team member. Uh, very few folks 
there's not a whole lot of room for a lot of other lofty ideas right then and there at that moment. But but the initial things that brought them into the service don't change. They don't they the majority of folks that I knew in the service uh, because I wasn't in during the draft. Uh, mm-hmm. I I had gone in I voluntarily enlisted right after the draft ended and uh all the guys that I knew were there because they they loved their country. Now, certainly there was a couple of guys who just couldn't find a job somewhere else or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but even those guys, even those guys loved their country, and they, they, they were willing to fight for their country and for the freedoms that exist nowhere else uh, on the face of this planet other than the freedoms that we as Americans enjoy by virtue of living in this nation. And, and that is something that we have to we have to continue. Now I thought I told the story before that I thought that uh, that because I had been a veteran and because I had, uh, I had been in nasty, dirty job situations, and uh, and when I got home, I felt like uh, <clears throat> all right. Uh, I did every single thing you asked me to do, and uh, and then I felt like I had a free ride because of that, and uh, and it took me quite a few years <laughs> to realize that. Well, I think you deserve one, but ride. apparently, but that's not uh, what's happening, unfortunately. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I was thinking, hey, I, you know, I did my part. I did my part, and yeah. so I should. I've taken care of any any obligations I have to my country. But that's. But that's not the way that it works, you know. Being mm-hmm. an American means that you have a uh, you have an open-ended, lifelong commitment to safeguarding the freedoms and liberties that that we enjoy. And you can't; it's non-delegatable. You can't give it to anybody else. You can't ever fully complete it uh, unless you've given your life for it. And uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and that is that is something that that. That's something that people don't understand. I don't think. I, I, I don't think that people understand that. I don't think people understand, uh, and I don't think that unless you've been a veteran and you've been there, that you understand the uh, the amount of commitment that it takes. You know, there are there are plenty of guys that uh, there are plenty of guys that make that pay the ultimate price. They sacrifice their lives. They spend their lives. Uh, in defense of their nation, in defense of their of their team members, uh, every uh, at different at, at, even nowadays at certain times every day, uh, these these men and women are are sacrificing their lives and the grief. You know, the very the, the very least we can do is acknowledge their commitment and acknowledge uh, their sacrifice. Uh, uh, on the on the back of the book, for you guys, that uh, if you take a look at the link, you'll see the. And I don't think the link has a picture of the back, but on the back of the book, uh, there's a magnificent piece of art that uh, was this created for you? It book? was. It was. It's actually Can you a. Tell us I'll, about this because it's beautiful. I would love to. I'll describe it for those that, um, and hopefully, 
Uh, if you go to loveyourveterans.org, I think in the in the store you'll if you scroll down you'll see it because I sell it as prints. But it's a an image of three soldiers with rifles or or you know a gun, and uh, they have angel wings on their backs and they're surrounding a wounded soldier who's lying on the ground. And in the distance there's mountains and it's kind of dry and deserty and there's a, a helicopter coming down. And I actually commissioned this art. It was a, a veteran who who did it, which was really cool. And it captures the stories, the stories that, that I was being told that were so sacred that those who experienced them didn't want them written. And so I wanted to catch them right. visually because um, it's very important. The story that this particular art was reflecting it's from a soldier who was wounded on the battlefield, and he had a female medic that was tending to him, and a male soldier was standing guard. When he got back to the Ford operating base and he said the names of the two that were there with him, he was then told that they had both been killed the month previous. This is a true story, and there are many like that. And um, I wanted this image to be captured because I want our heroes and I want their families who are unsung heroes, by the way, to know that they are being watched over and protected. And um, so that's the art that I put on the back. And it has become the the graphic for art that I have on some precious metal coins that were minted for us by an organization or a, a company that's supporting this tremendously called Provident Metals. And they actually designed two different coin styles, one that captures these these guardian angels is what I call them. And then there's another one that depicts a Marine sitting on a rock with the sun shining down on him, designed to reflect the hope that we can still have in life, even when we're out in, in the midst of battle. And yeah, listen, Provident- guys. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I'm going to throw my pitch in after you do. Go ahead. Okay, ProvidentMetals.com. They uh, minted these coins to raise funds for the Love Your Veterans organization, and they come in copper and silver, one ounce copper, one ounce silver, and they're gorgeous. And uh, so I'm using that art and those coins, and the a lot of the items that um, for the shootathon that I mentioned earlier, uh, the way that I'm running that is very much uh, like uh, you know you hear of a telethon or a walkathon. Well, it's fundraising. It's it's getting the participants to help fundraise, and that's what this is going to do. When people register to participate in a shootathon, they get their own fundraising page, and um, and they can set a goal of how much they want to raise to help our veterans. And then we have these awesome, exclusive awards that you've never seen before <laughs> that they can earn for different levels of funds that they've raised. And, and a lot of these awards are, are utilizing this imagery. Um, we have these paracord bracelets that you can get that has this image in, in the medallion, and it's got bullets woven into it, so it's, it's super cool. And what's great is anyone who ever wears that paracord bracelet People will know that person participated in a shootathon because only participants can get them. We also have um, a—I have a gun. It's a Glock 19 that was designed for me with the Love Your Veterans logo and red, white, and blue coloring. It's dura coated and it's just gorgeous. And you can see that on your slides that you have on your website. 
And, yeah, it's um, a really nice looking piece. It's great. I love it. I love it because when I go shooting at gun ranges and I have that gun, I am telling all the veterans around me, <laughs> and veterans go to ranges, that I love them and I appreciate them. Well, that's another exclusive item that can be earned. Um, we have a couple different cannons, and these are also one of a kind. No one builds like them. One is a, a 50 caliber cannon that's kind of a smaller desktop, but it shoots the, the 50 caliber uh, balls. And then we have what I, um, it's a golf ball cannon, and that um, is is just a blast, literally and figuratively. I have a, a special version of that being built for me. I'm actually going up to Tulsa this weekend to this huge gun show. Uh, about 100,000 people go through this show. And the builder of it, his name is Vance Stuffelbean, and he has a company, uh, Beans Custom Cannons. And he has built me a -a one-of-a-kind monster cannon. This thing is huge, and it's awesome. It's it's wheels. It's got these big uh, beadlock wheels that are 13 inches across. That's just the wheels, let alone the rest of the cannon. And uh, he designed it so there's a lot of surface space, and we've actually been able to put the art that you see on the back of the book there onto the cannon. And uh, it's a real showpiece. It's also entertaining, so at the shoot-a-thons, we'll pull out this cannon and shoot it off. It shoots golf balls, but uh, they're a lot of fun to watch. You can hit a five-gallon bucket full of water, and it'll shoot that water up 30 feet in the air. You can shoot it at a watermelon and watch it explode. And um, It's got a huge bang and a concussion. And it holds a lot of gunpowder, <laughs> and uh, it's it's really a lot of fun, but participants of the shoot-a-thon, one of the, the neat prizes that they can earn is that he's building a special model of these cannons that people, participants can earn their own cannons. And um, there's only going to be 50 of them made, and they will be numbered, and he's going to autograph them. And, uh, and so it really drives the value. And I'm so grateful to him and to Jeff Todd, who is the builder of the the 50 caliber cannon, which is also super cool and fun to shoot. Um, they're bringing their artisanship and their their innovation really um, to create products that people have never seen before. And I think that's going to make the shootathons really exciting. And and we're bringing that art into it. And so everything is really just exceptionally meaningful and beautiful and fun so um well yeah. i wanted to uh i wanted to put my pitch in too for the uh for the coins uh because melanie sent me a couple of the coins along with the books and stuff that she uh she sent to me uh to give out to some of the other veterans uh in the organization with us and uh, the coins are just absolutely beautiful. And you, know, you guys hear me all the time tell you about that uh, <clears throat> that uh, there's no substitute for precious metals. You know, if, uh, if, if all other methods of paying for stuff fails. Yeah, so that's gonna be, true. <laughs> hopefully you're going to be picking up precious metals as part of your prep anyway. Yes. So if you're going to do that, why why not get one that's going to be uh that's going to have a dual purpose and that is it's going to get you uh some uh, silver and some copper that uh, you can use to purchase items uh in a grid down situation and it's going to help 
the organization uh, fund the projects that they have for the veterans. So uh, this is uh, it's really a no-brainer, you know, for you guys to uh, to go to. Now, if they want to, uh, I'm kind of jumping ahead on my my stuff, but let's go ahead and tell the folks where they can <clears throat> where they can grab. Uh, some of the swag. If you guys aren't going to be at the uh, Battle of uh, Running Gun on April 26th, because she's going to have a pile of it there, but if you guys aren't going to be there, then where can they get it? Well, they can go to loveyourveterans.org, and we have kind of one of those moving billboards at the top of our, our website, and the first one is advertising the coins, so you can see them, what they look like, and if you click on that, it should link over to the Provident Metals website. Um, or you can go to ProvidentMetals.com and just type in Love Your Veterans in, in the search, and that will pull them up. You can also get the books and, and the art at the Love Your Veterans store. It's going to be going under renovation soon. Um, I'm not sure how soon because we'll be in the process of getting everything set up for the shootathons, where they can actually go to the website to register for those. Here's another thing I should mention about it. If you don't have a Love Your Veterans Shootathon happening near you, you don't have to actually participate in an event to raise funds and to get the awards. <laughs> Anybody can do it. And what I love so much about this idea, too, is the fact that you get your own page and you'll have a chance to write why you're participating, why you're fundraising. If there's a special hero that you want to acknowledge, you can write about that person. You can say thank you to our veterans. And then you share that page with your friends and your family and your coworkers and your local businesses. And it gives us a chance to spread that campaign message. So I'm hoping that people will really take their involvement in the Shootathon seriously, not just coming out and shooting and uh, $50 is the minimum uh, that they register with, and with that they get an autographed copy of the Triumph of Heroes, but, uh, but that they'll help raise money. And You know, what a win-win thing when there's a special award that they want to earn and they share the campaign and then they walk away with something really cool that they can, you know, go out in the country and shoot off their cannon with all their friends and family that help them earn it. So, you know, it's just a great way to have fun and appreciate our heroes all the time. <laughs> well, now you you touched on this earlier, but I, I wanted to. to uh, I know folks are going to ask, and that is, uh, you've got the book, the book, uh, 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 the Triumph Book Heroes, and the uh, uh, the artwork and the coins and stuff like that uh, to help raise. Uh, first of all, to raise awareness, and then to help fund the project. Uh, but how does how does the how does it work? How does the money that you're bringing in? How does that money how is that money used to help the veterans? That's a great question. Well, there's a number of different ways uh, or programs, I should say, that I'm hoping to fund. One of them is, of course, the hypobaric oxygen therapy treatment that I mentioned earlier. Another program that is uh, an extension of the program I talked about earlier that I used in the bereavement industry. As I wrote the Triumph Book Heroes, I wanted to create a version of what I call the Triumph Program, which is the, where they discover and share their own Triumph story. I wanted to create a version of that for our military because I'm going to tell you, that process is profoundly healing. 
I had people who were stuck in their grief for decades that had been to groups, that had read books, been to counselors, and after they went through the process, and of course you you can create a storybook like I had or, or some other method of preserving the story that you, you come away with, they told me nothing helped them like this. And it really is a a very deep and healing process. Of course, storytelling and, and healing has been around since the dawn of time when we were carving on you know on the cave walls and painting totem poles and teepees and these are all ways that people preserve story and it's it's in our it's a core human need that we have to feel like what we went through matters and it will serve a purpose and it's not forgotten and i am certain that that's a, a very deep much needed human need that our veterans are not having met for a number of reasons. One is it's not in their culture right now to even talk about what they've been through, or it's very hard for them to do that. But the truth is that they need to, and they need to do it in a way that has purpose to it, you know. Um, and so I have this, uh, the Triumph Program, Overcoming PTSD. I co-authored it with Matthew Brown, whose story is in the Triumph Book Heroes. This is a PTSD story. Is actually told from his perspective, his wife's perspective, and his mom's perspective. So it's a great story for anyone that wants to understand PTSD. But he co-authored that with me because there was no way I was going to write something for our veterans not being one and expect them to to take it seriously. But to have his contribution uh, the way that he did, it really does speak to them from a veteran. And um, what I what I'm wanting to do with this is actually take them on what I like to call the Triumph Program Adventure Retreats, where we go out for about four or five days and mix the cognitive work that we do in this program with fun. You know, riding, horseback riding to a waterfall, sit down with the workbook and write. Um, I have an uncle with a ranch in the mountains above Zions National Park in southern Utah, and it's just a great, it's kind of like a dude ranch. It's an ideal location, and he's told me I can use his ranch for free to bring veterans out and, and put them through this great experience. Put them through sounds bad, but you know what I mean. And uh, and so I'm trying to fund that. There's a lot of retreat-type programs happening right now, and they're great. You know, they take them hunting or fishing or canoeing, but... And that's what I want to do, but I want to add that extra healing element of letting them come away with having really thought and conversed purposefully and changed. And what comes out of this program is a story that allows them to bridge the gaps between them and their family because a lot of times they have a really hard time relating to each other and understanding and even communicating because the truth is our heroes are changed after war. And but we need to get to know them, and love them, and understand them, and and know their stories. And I plan to create a similar program for the families of our heroes that goes through a similar process, so they can literally be on the same page, although they go through it in their own groups, and then they have these stories to share with each other. And I believe that this can um, have a dramatic effect on the ability for their marriages to continue to work. So they have a very high divorce rate, which I believe has, and a very high unemployment rate, which I have other ideas about. But um, I believe as we keep the families together, 
we prevent veteran suicide, which is happening right now at a rate of about 22 per day. And uh, so it's very much about preventing veteran suicide. And, of course, I want to help all veteran nonprofits as much as I can, so I would like to raise awareness and funds for other programs. I I can tell you that... uh that when I came back from overseas, and I knew you hear the stories of like the Vietnam vets and stuff uh, uh, getting spit on and stuff like that. And none of that ever happened to me, but it was just, you know, it's kind of uh, the opposite. That is that uh, nobody was there. Nobody nobody cared. Nobody was yeah. interested. Nothing. And, uh, <laughs> and that whenever you... When you finally do disengage, or you uh, you're, you have your ETS or your final separation, there's a there's a period that you need to uh, you're kind of lost for a while. You're kind of lost because you've left uh, really like the only or the, the the family that you knew and loved, and uh, and. You, and you're not sure what to do or where to go, but you got to have some cool down period before you're ever ready to uh, you're ever ready to talk to other people. And I think that's a problem with the, that a lot of the veterans have is that they they're only going to feel comfortable usually talking to other veterans at least at first, and like you said, without a purpose. Uh, other than that, they would have to talk to other veterans, and the only way you're going to talk to other veterans is if you're in the military or if you're in some kind of veterans group or something. And by the time they've cooled down and they're and they may be ready to talk, there's nobody left to talk to, other yeah. than mm-hmm. other than maybe family members. And it's it's hard to talk to somebody like that. I think you're like you're saying. I think a much better way would be would be for them to have some retreats to go to where they can where they can talk about about what they want to talk about, and the listeners or other veterans. And then if you if they have a reason to write down the stuff that they would like to talk about and uh and then share the written story, I think that's a very good way for folks to, to transition the information out because otherwise it's kinda of hard. And there's always the I I think always the worry that uh that if you say if you tell your story which to you is is huge. It's monumental. It's 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 like you know it, it's the thing that 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 changed your whole life. If you tell that story and nobody cares, then that's very damaging. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Because it meant a lot <laughs> to you, and if nobody else cares, they don't listen. Then that really uh, that's that would be a really dangerous thing. And I think there's a good way for for them to do it is to write it down, like you said, if, they, if they're doing it for a purpose, if they're doing it to chronicle uh, their time in the service and then other people can read it, I think that's a good way for them to get shed of of those of those ghosts and demons sometimes. If you look at, uh, uh, for anybody that's ever been involved in any kind of a 12-step program, that's like one of the very first things that they make you do. That is to tell your story to one other person, because holding it inside you and having it fester and foul up is uh, is certainly not a good way to get any healing started. 
Yeah, it it, it really is a it's a basic human need, and I think it needs to be addressed as as that. Um, I should also mention I'm I'm also a publisher. I'm not just an author, but I created my own publishing company called Triumph Press, and one of the things that I do that that is part of the mission, really, of Love Your Veterans, too, is that I publish books um, for veterans. I have a lot of military genre books in my label. Um, I have a World War II bomber pilot, B-17 bomber pilot, who published his book with me called The Combat Nightmare in World War II, which is absolutely amazing. It's a supernatural story, actually. He had the same nightmare every night for three weeks about what would happen on his seventh combat mission, how what the target would be, where he'd be in the formation, how he'd be shot down, and then it happened. And it's quite amazing. But I that want really, That to, really is a nice one, too. And I want to, yeah. you, you said that one to me, too. And uh-huh. I tell you, it was very hard. Uh, it, it, I wanted to read that one, but I didn't have enough time. <laughs> I wanted to read that one, uh, too, because that was like one of That's how I started out in history uh, when I was just a very young boy. Uh, was reading the stories of the World War II uh, fighter and bomber pilots because that used to be a really a really big part of the of the public libraries was World War II nonfiction and yeah. Uh, yeah. and I was dying to read that one but I didn't have the time so I <laughs> I, I saw my list to do you're gonna after, you're gonna curious. love it you're gonna love it but the point is I want to help our veterans not only to write them through the program, but I want to help them share their stories. Because while no one listening and no one caring about your story would be damaging, the reverse is incredibly healing, and that is to know that your story reached people, and it healed them, and it helped them through whatever they're going through that they learned and gained some wisdom from you. That's when you start to find that sense of purpose in what you've been through, and that really circles back around to my story and why I started this whole thing. And that was because I found healing from my tragedy and my my personal battle, if you will, my loss, by sharing my story. And I'm just trying to provide that same opportunity. And I believe that every single story of every veteran is valuable and important and interesting. Um, and I'm continuing to write the Triumph book series. In fact, I'm working on the next in the in the series, and it's called Guardians of Freedom. And it's just the same concept as Heroes, collections of stories, first-person accounts from veterans. And I've got some phenomenal stories already collected for that, and I'm still working on it. If there's any veterans out there listening to this show right now that wants to tell their story and heal, I would love to to include you in that book. And... Um, and I'll always write these anthologies and work to I, – I try, I strive to publish their books at no cost to them. There's cost to publishing, obviously. So yeah, that's another thing that the shoot-a-thons can raise funds for is, is to be able to help our veterans that want to, to get their books and, and get their stories in print for others to know and read. And it's also my hope at these events that I can put together almost like a little traveling bookstore and have the Triumph books there for people to purchase and um, be able to support the cause and read the stories and um, and build the Triumph Press label in in that way. So. Well, I, I'm really looking forward to that because that was one of the questions I had coming up, which is 
that uh, if this, if the book Heroes was going to be, if that was it or if there was more. And so I'm, I'm very happy to hear that there will be more. I would think, uh, and I'm certainly not trying to saddle you with a uh, with an unfinishable project, <laughs> but I would think that, uh, gee, wouldn't it be great if you could do this and uh, and you could, you know, recruit uh, some other folks like to help you do it, so that so that you could kind of clone yourself and get oh, yes, and get the absolutely. stories. Uh, you know, <laughs> get, get more than because it takes a long time to do something like this. Even just the uh, I don't remember how many it was twenty five or more stories in Heroes. Twenty seven. It, it takes a long sorry. time. Yeah. Twenty seven. Okay. To yeah. do <laughs> to do just the twenty seven and. And, there are and I, I wrote a lot of them. I, I ghost wrote a lot of a lot of them. You know, some of them they wrote, and a lot of them I interviewed them and wrote for them. So that really took a lot of time because it's one thing to just edit a story; it's another to to interview and, and go through that process. And um, yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. I'd love to see that happen. And really, that's kind of what's happening with the Triumph program uh, because it's facilitated. Uh, and I want it to be facilitated by veterans. So it's a, it's a peer-to-peer mentoring, which is also extremely powerful healing, is that peer-to-peer experience. And I want veterans who've been through the program to be able to come back and, and facilitate the next group and be part of that. And and then, of course, out of the Triumph program is their story. So it's kind of already written. You know, there's there's probably going to need to be some help piecing it together or or editing or expanding um but it's a base it's a start and um and so it's it's veterans i want to involve veterans in that process helping other veterans and uh, that's that's where i'd like to see this go but everything uh everything we strive to do it, it just does take funding um and uh i i tell you i've been doing this for a long time and i would go and and speak and um I've done a lot of speeches, and and at the end, people walk up to me and they give me a pat on the back and they say, "You're doing a great work. Keep it up," and there walk out. Yeah. And that's yeah. it. That's and they, they didn't. Visit you. <laughs> they didn't even feel any sense of accountability to the veterans, as if it's like, well, I'm covering it for them or something. I don't know, but it was frustrating. <laughs> I I spent so much energy and time traveling and speaking, and you know, I'd sell a few books, but not really enough to cover all the expenses and, and everything I was trying to do. And that's why, that is why I came up with the shoot-a-thon idea, because I realized that we all have our, our priorities. And we have our top ten, and that gets the most of our attention. And then and then it goes on down. And priorities that fall down here in, you know, number 49 or 103, they, they don't get much attention or funding. But if I could take this priority that I believe should be one of the top ten, if not near the top, you know, God, country, those who prevent, preserved our country, you know, right up there. If I could tie that into a priority that people spend time and money on in their top ten and help it support veterans at the same time, that's that's why I, I came up with this. So we can tie in support of veterans to something that people will do and will pay for and will support because they just weren't doing it otherwise, unfortunately. So it's my well, hope that this can take off and be very successful and that we can hold these at ranges across the country is, is kind of my vision for it, and it can really make a difference in in the awareness and the funds that we can raise. 
Well, we've, I certainly uh, am no stranger to uh, what you just uh, what you just described, and that is <laughs> the folks who will come out to an apple seed or something like that, and they will uh, they will go through the 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 days of the second day shooting, and then at the end of the two days, uh, I'll do a short spiel on Saturday, you know, do a short uh, you know discussion and stuff. Then on Sunday, we have what we call the uh, uh, the benediction, and uh, and I'll try and, uh, you know, imbue the, the folks that are listening with an understanding of, uh, of the things that they have to do in order to, to help safeguard our freedoms and the peace. Kind of like what I said earlier about the, everybody having, everybody ha- having a, a, a part of the responsibility. And, uh, you know, it never fails that everybody's getting ready to go and they, they're doing the same thing, patting me on the back and saying, I'm really glad you're out here doing this. And I said, okay, yeah. that's good. But listen, before you <laughs> go, you I, let me do? just tell you again, I really could use some help. I really could use some help. <laughs> I've been doing it, you know, for eight years, and and I'm going to keep doing it. But I can really use and, uh And on, that's a lot of times, unfortunately, as far as it goes, which was really a shock to me in the very beginning because I thought <clears throat> I can see the uh, – I can see the the need for this, the necessity for this, and now why can't everybody else? Did I did my phone drop? No, I'm here. Can you hear me? Okay, right. I just heard a, <laughs> I heard some beeping, and I wasn't sure if I. I, I, had, I heard uh, it too. I was looking at my phone, wondering if I'm about to lose some power, but I, I think I'm all right. I got okay. a, I got a storm blowing over, so if you do lose me, it might be because of some lightning struck a little too close. <laughs> Well, I, I I was always shocked because I thought, uh, you know, I said certainly, certainly they can see how important this is, and folks are going to start, they're going to start lining up, they're going to start, they're going to start, you know, uh, signing up to help, yeah. and uh, and they didn't, like I thought they would, and I, that was very disheartening to me. I I still plug on anyway, like I'm sure you do. The one, at least there was one more option that folks have, like with you. Is you could you could actually put up a disclaimer that says, "Look, guys, if y'all aren't willing to actually physically help or do anything, at least shuck out uh, fifteen or twenty bucks for something." Exactly. Here. <laughs> <laughs> like, just and I and you know what? I've even made it better than that. I said, "Hey, let me offer you some awesome items that you've never seen before that are going to be valuable because I've made them limited edition, numbered, and signed." Go raise some funds for our veterans, and look what I give back. I mean, it's. Uh, I'm hoping that will finally motivate people. And it's sad to say, but uh, and I know that we're all strapped and we're strained in, in time and monies. There's so many directions they need to go, and 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 I understand that because I'm also in the the protection, the fight to protect our Second Amendment rights, and that's a, a constant battle in front as well as trying right. to help veterans and all the other things that we do. So I understand that. But at the same time, I just think that there's a lot of people, and probably the majority of us, which is why we're we're struggling so much, that just don't make the time for these types of causes. And, well, that and, 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 so. and I put on the Facebook post that, uh, you know, a good while back, 50, 60, 70 years maybe, uh, probably even closer than that, but for the last 40 or 50 years, or before that, Americans, we, we didn't have the government taking care of everybody. We didn't have, uh, it, it wasn't a, a big 
government care program. Americans, we took care of ourselves, and we took care of the people that needed help ourselves locally. We did yeah. this, and we did yeah. a great job of it. We did a really good job of it. And then the government came along and said, look, we're just going gonna to start taking your money by force mm. if necessary, and then we're going to take care of the people <laughs> that need help. So now everybody thinks, well, you know, uh, they already take care they of my the pay. They think the government They're already got taking it. it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they already take care of all this. Oh, and yes. And the only way to make sure that the that the things that you are passionate about get taken care of is for you to physically make sure they get taken care of. So yeah. uh, yes, that would the be government's my, my taking our money, of, and and we're working harder than ever to survive. But at the same time, they're not taking care of the things they're taking the money for. And, and veterans are the best example of that. I mean, the way they keep cutting their benefits, the hoops that they have to go through to get their to get their um the the support they need at the VA, you know, in the VA hospitals. It's uh, right. It's ridiculous. I, I don't mind helping people. I want to help people. I want to yeah. I want to help people, uh, you know, with time, effort and money. Uh, and I'm more than happy to do it. There's some things I don't want to do. I don't want to. I don't want to pay for people's sex changes and stuff like that. But yeah. I'm more than willing to help our veterans. And I think if the government would let Americans take care of uh, of our own, uh, or, or relearn it, relearn the way to do that, I think we would yeah. be in much better shape. Well, big Listen. government is never going to allow that. And unfortunately, oh, that's not. the path that we are on and have been on and continue to be on. And unfortunately, that apparently is what the majority of Americans are voting for. Although I, I know there's a tremendous amount of voter fraud happening. but uh, And it really does boil down to education and, and being out there and being the grassroots movement to help people understand and see what works and what doesn't work. And... Um, I'm afraid we might be learning the hard way before things get turned turned around. Um, well, listen, we're coming up to the end of the show, <laughs> and I'd like for you to, to give out, once again, give out the information on how folks can uh, reach you. There's several okay. different ways. Cause you've got the website and the Facebook page and stuff. Let the folks know how they yeah. can get in well, contact. Well, first of all, let, let me go ahead and give my email address in case there's any veterans in particular that want to reach out to me or, or anyone who has ideas or would like to provide support. Just contact me directly at Melanie. M-E-L-A-N-I-E at loveyourveterans.org. The website, of course, is loveyourveterans.org, and there's also a Facebook page for that. Um, and so those are the best places to go. If you want to check out my publishing company and learn about that, if you, it's uh, Triumph Press is true and inspiring stories. And, uh, and it's not just military, although that's the majority of what I've been publishing. So if anyone out there has a true and inspiring story or book that they've been wanting to publish, triumphpress.com those are my websites okay and uh, once again you can uh, you can visit with and meet uh, Melanie at the Battle Road USA uh, uh, running gun on April 26 2014 this is yeah. she's going to be bringing her yeah that's it she's going to bring the monster cannon I hope cannon. to shoot it can we shoot Did it? You tell the folks about you? Absolutely, we're going to shoot it. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to shoot it. We're going to see it blow some stuff up in the air. Yeah, uh, we'll have a big thing of water that uh, we can shoot it at. And you're also going to have your uh, your that monster three barrel shotgun, right? The triple barrel shotgun. Yep. yep. I've got that out there. That's something that you can shoot. 
get a picture with. I even sell raffle tickets for it. I'll be embedding it with the Love Your Veterans coins in the stock, so it will be uh, limited edition Perfect. Love Your Veterans. Yeah. Perfect. And uh, and she'll have a ton of swag that uh, that you guys can uh, purchase that was going to help the veterans. That way, you guys can uh, you guys can get some neat stuff. And feel uh, uh, feel like you satisfied some of your responsibilities, and, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and uh, and also just and have a great time. So come on out and uh, meet Melanie. Listen to uh, we're going to give her a chance to give her spiel uh, to the shooters and stuff. To listen to what she has to say. And Melanie, I want to thank you very much for for taking the time out to uh, to talk to us this evening, and uh, wish you best of luck. And I'm gonna. Uh, I'll be talking to you uh, for from now on for quite a while because I imagine we're going to work with you on some of the projects you have coming up, and it will always be available if you need to get uh, information out. It will always be available here for you to get it out over the radio show here. Thank you. I've just enjoyed this immensely. You've been great to talk with, and I appreciate getting this word out. All right. Thanks, Melanie. God bless you and keep you, and uh, and we'll see you in just a couple of weeks. And love your veterans. <laughs> and loveyourveterans.org. <laughs> All right, take care. Bye. Thanks, Melanie. You're welcome. Okay, guys, that's going to wrap it up for a uh, for another episode, and uh, and we appreciate you listening. Uh, I still have Tom Stockup and uh, and the NTSB investigators coming up on a on a show in the near future. We haven't been able to. To nail down the date on it, but we will soon, and uh, we'll see you guys uh, next week, Thursday, uh, 7 p.m. Central. All right, take care. God bless and keep you all. Sam, too. Thank you, Sam, for uh, holding on the show. No problem, Scott. I was just lucky to be able to get in when you could.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.